When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. Uh, my name, despite the long layoff, remains Chris Reifer. Uh, I am from Stumptown Footy. Uh, despite the long layoff as well, uh, the person just on the other side of the internet for me remains Jamie B. Goldberg. She's the beat writer for the Timbers and Thorns for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com. Uh, Jamie B., well, what's going on? We haven't talked in a while. Why don't you, why don't you fill us in on, on what you've been doing? Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping people remember us. Um, it really does feel like a long, a long time. I, I think I don't think we've had a break this long in season since we started recording together. Yeah. Um, at least not without having a guest host or something. But uh, I guess vacation. We both uh, took the international break. Um, unfortunately, missed a Thorns game in there, but took the international break as an opportunity to kind of just get away uh, for for a few days, um, which is hard to do obviously in the the soccer season uh, i was in hawaii Ooh, um for that's a week yes uh didn't didn't spend a lot of time thinking about soccer spent a, a lot more time hiking uh lying on the beach things like that which island uh, did you go to Kauai. um getting a lot of pina coladas Ooh, uh, nice <laughs> very nice so uh not not the beer not the beer scene that's in portland but uh the tropical drink scene is is quite good. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a good little break. Um, but we're back. We're back at it. We're in the home stretch for both the Timbers and the Thorns right now. And, and a lot to talk about, obviously, after after the two week layover. Yeah, I uh, I was uh, away on sort of back to back wedding duty. Uh, had one in, Chica- in Chicago or just out- outside of Chicago uh, that allowed me uh, not only to go to the wedding that was that was very nice. Uh, but also to go to two Cubs games, uh, which was also extremely nice. Uh, they won both, by the way, the, unlike uh, as they've been doing recently. Uh, so th- so that was good. And then uh, I, I had one uh, last weekend as well, sort of going back to back. It was like the gold cup of weddings, I suppose. Um, I did get all the way to the final. I was, this is the one I was the bridesmaid in. Uh, and, and that was outside of McCall, Idaho. That was beautiful. It also was like totally, totally like, you know, it was a 45 minute or so drive outside of McCall, which is itself like, you know, a couple hour drive from anything at all. Uh, so there was like no cell reception and that was great. Uh, and it was also like kind of jarring when I got back sort of into civilization on Sunday and was like, wow, lots of things happened since I was last on, uh, on the internet. Um, but it, nonetheless, it was a lot of fun. Uh, like it was up at some hot springs, which was super, super neat. Uh, got to hang out in the hot springs. Uh, also got to go, you know, do some like hiking around. Uh, I climbed a mountain 
not a mountain. That's a super exaggeration. Uh, a rock formation, uh, I think, is a, a better way to put it. Uh, <laughs> after having a couple of whiskeys, which uh, I think was probably good for me because I sort of have like a mild fear of heights. Uh, and so, like, ordinarily, you know, I am not much of a rock climber uh, as much as other activities. Uh, but, but you know, I, I think the whiskeys put me in a good spot where I, like, was able to both, you know, still maintain my motor skills so that I didn't die. Uh, and also, like, kind of took the edge off of the fear of heights. So that was a lot of fun. That was the, the, the picture I posted on Twitter was sort of the top of that. Uh, but, yeah. So that's what I was doing uh, while, every, while, like, you were here working and ever, other people were, you know minding their responsibilities um so it was fun the break was great uh we are back from the break which means we should talk about soccer uh primarily soccer this week not made in portland uh so the soccer not made in portland this week uh let's start off with the timbers 1-0 win over new york city fc uh our predictions for this game we were not very enthusiastic you were you know more optimistic i suppose than i was um, but but uh, on a, on you know neither of us thought the Timbers were going to get anything out of this game. You thought it was going to be a two one loss. You did call the Diego Valeri goal, uh, which had happened the six previous times uh, in that game. So I'm not sure that's a side bet uh, that by itself is going to get you a ton of points. Uh, I called a three zero loss with the Darren Maddox miss sitter. That's just zero points. There's no need to discuss that further. The Valeri goal, I think you should get like three point seven two points for, uh, just because. I mean, it's it's about as low degree of difficulty as the side bet gets. He had scored 16 goals before that this season. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, uh, that that is where we are. Do you agree with those 3.72 points uh, for you to come away uh, with, with that little pittance? I'll, I'll take it. But I, I will say that he is only the fourth player in MLS history to actually score in seven consecutive games. So it wasn't – it was – a little bit of a milestone for I, him to I, I, to I will that? say this. If you had predicted seven games ago that he was going to score in seven consecutive <laughs> games, you would have gotten a lot more than 3.72 points. Uh, you did not, all right, all right. however. Uh, <laughs> and so I'll you don't it. get credit for, for the previous six. It, it is the lowest uh, lowest side bet you can make with the Timbers right now. So so I will take it. Definitely. Um, okay. Uh, so NYCFC was without David Villa, which was sort of a much-discussed thing both going into and coming out of the game uh so that is that 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 was certainly a a notable loss for them they also had a couple others out uh the timbers were without fernando adi liam ridgewell and diana spria uh, also jake gleason remained sort of out as he gets back into form uh after that hamstring injury he suffered in toronto uh so i mean all of that considered all all of the the respective absences on either side uh the way the game went the way the timbers played how good was that win? I mean, I mean, you know, going to NYCFC, I think under any circumstances and coming away with three points has to be considered good, uh, right? But, but I mean, where on that scale of goodness are, are, are you putting that one? I, I think it was a very good win. And, and I, I think it's been a little bit discounted that the Timbers were missing Audie, Ridgewell, Espria, Gleason. Uh, obviously, Via, uh, for what he's done this year, he's the front runner for MLS MVP. Losing him was a huge loss for New York, but losing for the Timbers, losing their top striker wasn't something that was going to be easy to deal with. And it's been something they've been dealing with for the last few weeks. So I think both teams were dealing with key absences. This is a tough field to play on a a field where New York has had a lot of success this year, had only lost one game at home. And that hadn't happened since April going into the game. Uh, it's a narrow field. New York knows how to play there. It's difficult for other teams to go on that field and get a result. 
And, and the Timbers went out. They were composed. I think early on there was a few mistakes from Guzman and, and Miller in particular, just two instances where they didn't handle the ball like they needed to around the goal. But New York didn't take advantage of those opportunities. The Timbers were the ones that took advantage of their opportunity on a New York miss miss cue and i think they were composed for the rest of the game they played their game plan and they got a big big result i was not expecting them as you mentioned going to this game the expectation kind of was that they were going to lose that this was not uh, of the games left this was going to be one of the harder um matches for them to get a result in so i i think this is a huge win for the timbers i think it shows what we've been seeing in recent weeks that they are grinding out results, that they're finding ways to get three points, they're finding ways to get big results on the road, and they're playing their best soccer right now. And I think it's a sign that this team might have something in them going into the final five games of the season. All of a sudden, this team is not just right around the red line. They have a chance to earn a strong seed in the Western Conference standings, and they have a chance to maybe make a run. And if this result is in any indication... They're finding ways to play their best soccer and they're finding ways even when things aren't going right to grind out results and, and prevent pressure from other teams to leading to them dropping results late in games like they were earlier in the season. You know, I thought it was the best one of the season. Uh, and, and, and I say that for a number of reasons, not just that it's going to NYCFC and getting three points. That was uh, of their final six games. Uh, by far the most difficult game on the schedule. Otherwise, the Timbers, in their remaining five now, uh, they play four teams that are currently outside uh, the the playoff picture. Uh, three of those five are at home. The only playoff team they play, the Vancouver Whitecaps, they play at home on the final game uh, of the regular season. And so everything else is, is you know, I, I'm not going to say the Timbers should win all five, but, but all each of those games you would say the Timbers certainly can win. Frankly, I'm not sure I would have said that going into NYCFC with the, with the one caveat that we that we talked about before that uh, the, the 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 citizens were coming off a midweek game. Uh, that was still a very very difficult game to 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 go and win. By far the most difficult to remaining, and they did it. So that is excellent. Um, but it mostly, I I just thought they were you know the way you put it. I, I think you said they were composed. Uh, over the course uh, of the game, with the exception of a couple early hiccups, I, I certainly agree with that. And they just managed the heck out of the game. Uh, I, I thought they made it really difficult uh, on NYCFC in the final third to create much in the way uh, of good chances. Uh, I thought NYCFC's only real, I mean, half chances basically just came off set pieces, which is, I mean, they, that's always going to be a thing. At Yankee Stadium, because as you noted, the field is narrow. Basically, every set piece within 45 yards of goal is a set piece on, on uh, that is sort of a, a scoring possibility, a legitimate scoring possibility uh, for for the set the the team taking the set piece. Uh, and and you know, I mean, when games do get sort of tight, like the Timbers made that game. Uh, the you know that's just going to be sort of the most natural way for a team to go and get a goal. But yet. Even then, I thought the Timbers were relatively clean. You know, there there were no moments in that second half where I said, "Oh man, the Timbers are so lucky not to have not to have conceded there." Uh, and if anything, I thought the game was a lot closer to going two zero than it was to going one uh, one. And look, I mean, when you think about that kind of game management, the ability to press when it's smart, uh, the ability to drop the block low when it, when when the situation calls for that, 
Uh, the ability to shut down a team, uh, a still good attacking team, even without David Villa, uh, a, to, to pretty well shut down a good attacking team as they're pushing for a goal, as they're pushing uh, to get a result. That's huge. That, I mean, that is exactly what the Timbers have been missing uh, over the course of much of the season. We've seen it, as you noted, with with relative regularity recently. We've seen it a couple times at home against Colorado. We saw it. To some extent, we saw it against the LA Galaxy. We saw it up in Seattle uh, against the Sounders when the Timbers pulled out that 1-1 draw. And we certainly saw it uh, against NYCFC. And look, I mean, that is that was sort of the missing ingredient. We've seen this Timbers team play better soccer than they are right now. Uh, and I think a lot of that is just due to who is missing. Fernando Adi is important. Uh, and he's important to their system. And he's important to the way the Timbers attack flows. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, they don't play as good a soccer when they have Darren Maddox in there or even when they have Jeremy Obobese in there uh, as they do when, when Fernando Adi's there. But as ex- exactly you noted, the ability to even when they're handicapped, even when they're not playing their best soccer, to still go out and get these results consistently as they have over the course of the last three or four weeks, I can't overstate how important that is. And, and, and I think this is the crown jewel of demonstrating exactly that. So I think it's the biggest win of the season so far. Uh, and I actually don't even think it's, it's all that close. Uh, and, and, and I think this is something that the Timbers should feel very, very, very good about going forward. Uh, Diego Valeri has scored in seventh straight. Have we mentioned this already? I can't remember <laughs> if we I think, mentioned I think this, we but... mentioned it because uh, you didn't agree with me discussing how yes. uh, it should change my points. That's right. That's right. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, he has scored in seventh straight. That ties an MLS record, as I think you alluded to. Uh, what do you think? I mean, looking at Valeri's form as a whole, is this his best stretch uh, in his time with the Timbers? I mean, it's kind of a loaded question because he has had a number of really, really good stretches uh, with the Timbers. Certainly in the 2015 playoffs, he was very good. There were times during 2014 in which he was excellent, uh, even when the team was struggling a little bit, where Diego Valeri was just absolutely dominant. Uh, obviously, when he came onto the scene uh, in 2013, he was very good. He filled up the the, the, the goal-scoring numbers last year. Uh, but what do you think? I mean, among all of that, do you think this is the best stretch of, of play we've seen from Diego Valeri in a Timbers uniform? I think so. I think he has had stretches where if you're looking at both goals and assists, he, he probably has had streaks just as long as the, as this or, or longer. If you're looking at games where he's either produced a goal or an assist and therefore made a immediate and obvious impact on the game. But I think he's just been able to adapt to what the Timbers need, and he's been able to take on this goal-scoring load that Audi hasn't been able to contribute. He's been out five games, and the Timbers are a team that has relied very heavily on Audi and Valeri in the last two years to produce the majority of their goals. There have been other players that have contributed this season. Blanco obviously had a little bit of a hot streak during the summer, but... Valeri and Audi are quite important for the Timbers right now in, in scoring goals and, and getting results. And without Audi in there, Valeri's been able to pick up the slack and, and been able to find goals in these seven games and, and keep put the Timbers in a spot where they've gone from right around the red line up to first place, uh, at least as of now. We'll, we'll see what the result tonight is. Um, but for the moment, up into first place in the Western Conference standings. So I, I think when I look back at it, maybe there's another stretch where he's played very good soccer. But I, I can't think of one off the top of my head where, where I think he's been better and more impactful for the team at, at such a key moment in the season. 
So I'm going to agree and disagree. I think it's probably been his most important stretch, and it's uh, it's for the reason you alluded to, where the Timbers really, really needed somebody to come and sort of take on that goal-scoring load uh, with Fernando Adi out. And, you know, I mean, he, Valeri has done that in in, in truly spectacular and, and arguably historic fashion. Uh, not actually, no, arguably spectacular and truly historic fashion. I need to switch my adjectives around there uh, because it is not arguably historic. It is historic. Uh, and and if you think otherwise, you're wrong. Um, but but I mean, so, so, you know, I mean, it has been huge for the team to have him to, to sort of come up and, and take on uh, the brunt of that goal-scoring load with that, without Adi. And even with, you know, the other factor is that Sebastian Blanco has sort of stay, has sort of cooled off his hot goal-scoring form from earlier in the summer. That, of course, is going to happen. I mean, it's not to say he hasn't been playing well. He has. Uh, but, you know, I mean, naturally, he wasn't going to stay as hot as he was uh, the entire time. So the Timbers desperately needed somebody, anybody, uh, to step into to the void created by those two things. And, and Valeri has done so very, very profoundly. Uh, so, you know, I, I think you can certainly look at this and say, yeah, this is probably the most important stretch of soccer that Valeri ha- has played for the Timbers. And, and in taking on that goal scoring load has kind of put the team on his shoulders uh, through the stretch that looks like it could be uh, absolutely vitally important for this 2017 season. Uh, I don't think it, it's necessarily the best I've seen him play as an individual. Uh, I remember there were times during that 2014 season in particular where Valeri just just went on stretches uh, of the season in which it was he was just the best player on the field game in game out it didn't matter who they were playing Diego Valeri was absolutely dominant and even though there there, there was sort of a some shambolicalness at the back the Timbers still had Diego Valeri and that very very much uh kept them uh right in in, in the playoff race even with their problems in defense uh so i mean as far as the best i've ever seen Diego Valeri play uh i i still think back to that 2014 season uh, after he came off the, that uh, that that hernia, and before, of course, he ended up tearing his ACL uh, against FC Dallas, as, as maybe the best I've seen him play. But most important, I, I, I'm totally on board with, with calling this stretch of play from Valeri the most important we we've seen uh, from him in, in Portland. And you know, I mean, in that respect, it's arguably more sort of legend status worthy uh, than than when we've seen him maybe be more individually spectacular. Uh, the defense. I think this needs to be talked about. It hasn't been talked about a ton. Uh, it hasn't been talked about a ton nationally or you know, more region, sort of locally than nationally. But I think that's uh, doing it a disservice nationally. But the defense has been a lot better in the last month or so. Uh, whether it, it, it's in that Colorado game where after giving up the one, the, the Timbers pretty well shot things down. Uh, the Seattle game uh, in which the Timbers kept a, a good Sounders team at home at bay. And then an NYCFC game in which NYCFC is certainly a potent attack uh, at Yankee Stadium. Uh, the Timbers kept them off the board and kept them off the board in pretty convincing fashion. That's not the kind of stuff we've seen from this team uh, over the course of, like, this last entire season or basically since 2015. What do you think the the primary factor has been in that change that we've seen over the course of the last few weeks? I, I think there's a few factors. I, I think the team has just done overall a better job at, at- – making big plays in key moments. I, when you look at previous games where the Timbers have dropped results, it does come down to one or two plays and a mistake here or there. And the Timbers have obviously made a lot of those mistakes and, and it has cost them. Um, in recent weeks, I, I think there's probably some confidence that is building just from 
making those plays, being able to grind out results. And I think that feeds off itself and allows them to continue feeling like they have the confidence to continue making those plays and getting uh, three points. I I also think, and I don't think it's been talked enough, uh, talked about enough. I, I think Mabiala has been a difference a difference maker on the back line. I, I think he comes up with plays and key moments. He does little things that go a little bit unnoticed. I think he's been overall a very good addition to the Timbers, especially to a team that's missing a lot of leadership on the back line with Liam Ritual being out so much this season. I think he brings that leadership. I think overall he's been a consistent presence back there, and I think he's made a lot of little plays that have helped the Timbers overall. I think Zarek Valentin's also been pretty good at, at right back in a spot where Alvis Powell has struggled throughout the season. I think Vita's in coming back, and, and we'll see if he is able to play going forward in the little bit uh, after coming out of the last game with an injury when the little bit he's been back, I think he's done really well uh, as well. So I, I think there's been some players that have stepped up on the back line, but I do think ultimately the addition of Mabiala is a big difference for the Timbers. When you look at earlier in the season to now, you know, one thing I stopped learning, stopped knowing how to do over the break Use my microphone, uh, which longtime listeners know that's not true uh, because I have always sucked at that. Um, I agree I, completely about Mabiala. That's sort of where I wanted to go with this point. Uh, I was sort of slow uh, to, to get on the Mabiala judgment train just because I wanted to see a good amount from him. Uh, but I, over the, the course of now what I think is a, a legitimate body of work, he's been really, really good. Uh, for the Timbers. Uh, yes, of course, there have been a few mistakes, but that's just the life of a defender. Uh, by and large, though, he has been excellent. He's, he steps into midfield uh, with quite a bit of confidence. He does a really good job of helping to lead that line. Uh, I actually think he and, and Liam Ridgewell should be a very good combination. Not, you know, I mean, I'm not counting on ever seeing it for very long. Uh, but nonetheless, like, they certainly seem to be a good match. Uh, he, he wins balls in the air uh, a little bit better than I think anybody else they have. Uh, and and that's all a, a big deal for this Timbers defense that has struggled sort of with all of those things uh, at various times. So I think that's been huge. I, I, I agree completely with all the other things you mentioned there, though. Uh, Vitas uh, has been better, just sim- plain and simply better uh, in the last few games. In particular, he's been better in, in winning aerial balls. He's been just absolutely vacuuming up uh, aerial balls into the box over the course of the last few weeks. And, and again, that's the thing, something that the Timbers have really struggled with over the course of the season at times. Uh, you know, I, I think you also look at Zarek Valentin has put in a, a, a handful of pretty darn good performances now uh, when he's gotten the start over Alvis Powell. And for sort of various reasons, they've still kept kind of trading off over the course of this last month or so, uh, whether it's due to injuries and, and, and the like. But nonetheless, uh, when he's been in there, I think this has maybe been his most consistent run of play uh, that we've seen a, as a Timber and then, look, I mean, Roy Miller's been Roy Miller. Uh, I think if you have to choose a, a backline MVP for the Timbers this year, I, I think it's – there's not even an argument that it's anybody other than Roy Miller. Uh, he's been very consistent. He's been very solid uh, for the Timbers. And, and a signing that I think got – you know, raised a lot of eyebrows and, frankly, got a lot of chuckles around the league uh, is making a lot of folks eat a bit of crow uh, in that he has come in for the Timbers, played a much bigger role than they expected him to play. Uh, and has risen to the occasion. And so, I mean, yeah, you know, I definitely want to highlight Mabiala because I do think he has been a major driver uh, of this defensive improvement. And I think it's clear that he's uh, come in and gotten comfortable pretty quickly. 
But, you know, as you noted, there are a lot of things that you can point to and, and, and sort of say, yeah, this is sort of just improvement all across the back line. And it's not necessarily just uh, about one player or two players. Okay. You know what we should do? We should have a hot take segment for which I don't have a name. So it remains the hot take segment to be named later. Jamie Goldberg, you're up first. Go. I think this is going to be a little bit of journalism nerdiness, uh, but I think it's going to make, I think I'm going to build to a larger point. And that is, if you notice fans of MLS, I may or may not, it's something as a journalist I use quite often, but fans of MLS may or may not notice that you can go to the players' pages and look at their game log and see, oh, Valeri, Diego Valeri has scored in seven straight games. You can just go through the game log and see trends that are going on in terms of goals and assists because the stats are just laid out for you right there. The NWSL, with their new website and the NWSL media group that's been created this year, has a similar, supposedly has a similar situation on players' pages. Now, what I've begun to notice over the last few weeks, uh, last few months, in doing research about for player profiles, things like that, is that most of it is just wrong. It's not just missing, it's wrong. It'll say player X scored a goal in a game, that they never scored in or has an assist in a game that they never had an assist in or in a game that they had three goals or two, two goals and assist or something. It'll just say they didn't have any production whatsoever. So this game log that the NWSL has created is completely useless. And, and I, I think that is a really unfortunate. I, I think it hurts the league in that when journalists like me or, or others out there are trying to write stories and, and actually give the league coverage, they either are getting wrong information or are unable to see trends that might be out there that might be really interesting and important to talk about, but the stats aren't readily available. At the same time, I think it just hurts the credibility of the league to have something so inaccurate and something that hasn't been fixed at this point in the season. I've brought it up before, and I believe that the league is aware of it from my understanding. And I think that just speaks to the credibility of the NWSL, which has been an issue. We've talked so many issues about this league and it is a growing league. There are going to be growing pains. But this is a small thing that I think they should be able to get right, especially when they're putting out that they're doing this new media group with Lifetime involved in all these new steps this season and the new website. The website should be functional. There should be ways to get statistics that make sense for reporters and fans alike. And the NWSL just hasn't lived up to that yet. So even though it might seem like a small thing, things that fans might not notice as much as journalists, I, I think it speaks to the greater issue with the credibility of the league and, and just getting things right. Um, so that's something I'd really like to see fixed. Uh, and I, I think it would end up leading to better reporting out there as well. For those who, who like to visualize hot takes or, or at least uh, geometrize I, I made that up with that word up, uh, but you know, put put to you know, see how it would look in in sort of like a geometric pattern. This hot take is about to be a, a pyramid, but an upside down pyramid. You started like very narrow and very deep, uh, and then like you sort of expanded as you went up. And I'm even going to go to another level because I'm going to take this beyond NWSL. I, I think this broader point, and I agree with you. The game log stuff in the NWSL is both super frustrating when you're trying to follow the league, when you're trying to stay up on, frankly players that are not of the team that you regularly cover. Uh, but even, as you noted, when you have 
sort of an in-depth piece where you want to go in uh, and, and really drill down into an individual player's production, uh, it, it's super annoying. So I, I agree with that entirely. But I think access to data as a whole is something that neither NWSL nor MLS do well at all. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the way they, they put together their, their contracts with Opta. Look, I, I mean, Opta data is super valuable. Uh, it is a, an incredible tool to use, whether you're sort of writing something that is super in-depth and super statistical, uh, or even if you're you're sort, sort of just using it uh, to write a more ordinary piece. It frankly just makes the stuff you write better uh, because you have access to so much more data that is that is accessible and sorted in a way that's super convenient. And so it's awesome. It's a really great product. And unfortunately, the way NWSL and MLS have constructed their contracts with Opta, it is super, 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 add a few more supers if you want, tightly held. Uh, it is really hard <laughs> to get into the, the Opta Vault. It is prohibitively expensive uh, for, for most folks who are in media. Uh, it, is, it is something that, that, as a practical matter, basically boils down to a very few media and basically league-based media only having access to. Uh, at least in in its fullest form, and that's too bad, because we, we both with NWSL and MLS, there are lots of people who would like to write in depth, and there are lots of people who would like to read this uh, in depth on these kinds of things that can't, because this data is really tightly held. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you compare it to, and and I know people don't like when we talk about this, but you compare it to baseball. There is. A treasure trove, a massive, massive, massive quantity of data online for for baseball that is just online, free, that anybody can go use, sort through, uh, and and reference at at their convenience. And as a result, it it is sort of spun into a a really sort of active, uh, both blogging and and journalist and sort of statistical data journalist uh, sport. And, and that has been a big thing for baseball. MLS and, and soccer, both MLS and NWSL just don't have that. Simple, plain and simple. Uh, and I think that is too bad because I think there are a lot of people sort of on, uh, on the level, frankly, of people who listen to this podcast that would love to have that kind of journalism and that would love to have that kind of, those kinds of pieces produced on a consistent basis. So, uh, I, I totally agree uh, that NWSL's problems even go beyond MLS's problems. But I think this issue is something that, that, that is equally applicable uh, to NWSL and MLS. And I think it's something that they really need to consider as they're negotiating with Opta going forward. Uh, because I think having more of that out there, having more of those tools out there, will only generate, generate and drive deep interest in, in their respective leagues. And so uh, it is something that, that they've got to get straightened out both on sort of the NWSL level right now and the, the MLS level. Okay, uh, my hot take. And I, I don't even know how hot a take this is. You might, you might sort of criticize the, the, the hotness of my take here. Uh, but I think this Timbers team very much has a 2015-like run in it. Uh, and, and I say that for a few reasons. I mean, this has been a team that throughout the, the course of the year we've known has been a, a, a pretty good attacking team. They, they've... I, I think they still have the most goals in the Western Conference. They're top three in MLS. Uh, they've been a, a, a team that is that has been able to fill up uh, fill up the the, the nets uh, on a regular basis. The problem, though, is, is they haven't been able to do it defensively. And if you remember back to 2015, basically from March on, they were a good defensive team. 
if you remember the regular season of 2015, it was actually the attack that sputtered at times. And then when it came around toward the end of the season, that's when the Timbers went on that run. I think this, we've got a similar kind of dynamic developing right now. The attack, uh, in many ways, it, it's the reverse. But the attack has been good all year long, basically from March on. Uh, and it's been the defense that struggled. But now it appears, as we're getting into September, it's starting to now uh, get itself sorted out. And, and what will happen with that, especially when you look at how favorable the timber schedule is, frankly, how I think favorable the Western Conference playoffs are likely to set up. And, and yes, that is sort of a backhanded thing to say about the Western Conference. But I think when you look at this, uh, at the way this fall sets up for the Timbers, the way they've been playing recently, uh, and and the better output they've had from the defense, I think this team could uh, go on a 2015-like run. That's not me saying I think they will, uh, but I, you know, frankly, that's not something that I would have said about the 2016 Timbers. I think there were times when we were, you know, and certainly I wasn't, and other folks were hopeful that maybe they would find a way to turn it around. Uh, I think that was more hopeful than it was realistic. I think it's realistic with this group. They absolutely could go on a 2015-like run. They absolutely could rise to become a team in the West that could challenge Toronto FC uh, for MLS Cup. I, I think TFC is still a prohibitive favorite. But if I were to choose anybody out of the West right now to say, yeah, they could give TFC a run for their money, I'd say it'd be this Timbers team. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, I, I, I just think that this is, that, that it's okay to sort of let your mind now wander and, and think of what could be something special, uh, coming down the stretch in, in, in this fall. Uh, and, and is that a reasonable expectation for this team that they well go on, you know, a, a big run and maybe get to MLS cup or, or heck even win it. I mean, it's an awfully high expectation, but I don't think it's an unreasonable one for this team. It's talented enough. It's starting to get itself put together enough, uh, both on the offensive and defensive end. And I think we're we're at the point where that's uh, that's something that's within the realm of reason. What do you think? Am I getting ahead of myself? I mean, I definitely think it's possible. I, when you look at 2015, like you said, they had ups and downs all year. It, there's been ups and downs this year as well, but they put it together at the right time, which the Timbers seem to be doing right now, and, and then went on that incredible run. The Timbers actually, I believe, have more points at this point in the season uh, currently than they had in 2015 at that time. So that's a positive sign as well. And, and I do think they have the attacking talent and the defense seems to be coming around. I, I wonder how injuries are going to factor into their ability to make a run. They don't seem to be going away as, as we continue, as I think we're going to get to, and, and we'll see if the team ends up being able to get healthy. And if that, if players coming back in impacts the chemistry, I also think that the Timbers are missing a little bit uh, of the kind of off-the-bench attacking talent they had in, in 2015. They don't have a Max Yerudi. I don't think they've had a second striker that can come on for Audi that has proven that they can produce like Yerudi was able to do in that playoff run. And that might not matter, uh, but it is something that could end up mattering if they get into some sort of game that's going into extra time and they really would like to use a sub off the bench. So I think there are definitely question marks still. I, I think, like you said, Toronto is the favorite. And um, I don't think that the Timbers on paper should beat Toronto, even if they made it that far. But you never know. I mean, one game in an MLS Cup, any team can win. So I think it's possible. I think there are reasons to still wonder if it's going to happen. But the Timbers are playing their best soccer at the right time. And I think what matters the most in playoffs is which team is the hot, hottest at the right moment. There's obviously a little bit of luck added into that and, and a little bit of thing, just things going your way at the right moments in games. 
but I think it's not always the best team that has that wins MLS Cup. It's very rarely, I think, the team that wins the supporter shield that necessarily goes on and wins the cup. I think it's a team that's playing their best soccer at the right time. And the Timbers are certainly putting it together at the best time in the season. Do you want to, you want a sort of secondary hot take off what you said? I disagree that the Timbers aren't as deep as they were in 20, as they were in 2015. I don't think they're as offensively deep. I, I even disagree with that. Uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you that Rudy was sort of a better one shot bullet off the bench uh, than, than they have right now. Uh, but I think Darren Maddox coming off the bench is is a perfectly good uh, attacking option. I think the 2017 version of Dairon Espria, I take every single day of the week and twice on Sunday or the 2015 version of Dairon Espria coming off the bench. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, frankly, you look at you even look at a Jeremy Obobese. That's another good uh, option coming off the bench. I, you know, I, I think if the Timbers didn't have as much attacking depth as they had. Somebody like Victor Arboleda would have had a lot more run this year. He's a guy that's shown perfectly well when he's gotten on the field. And yet, because there have just been, there's been actually pretty remarkable depth in that, that, that attack that has allowed them to score goals, even when they've had injuries. Uh, I, I do think this is a, this is overall sort of by the sum of its parts, a deeper attack, a, a, a more stacked attacking bench than the Timbers had in 2015. I, I, th- I think defensively, it's not even close. Uh, that this is a better sort of uh, defensive bench than the Timbers have had. And that's yeah. because, I mean, you've either got Roy Miller or Liam Ridgewell. We're going to talk about this. But you've either got Roy Miller or Liam Ridgewell uh, sitting on the bench, uh, ready to come in a, a, as a center back, potentially as a left back. Uh, you have Alvis Powell uh, coming in a, as a right back who can bring a different dimension. And, you know, in, certainly in moments can be a not only a competent, but a good right back. Uh, I, I think this is a better bench than we've seen from the Timbers and, and a deeper team than we've seen from the Timbers probably ever. The key, as you mentioned, though, is getting healthy because a, a lot of those bench guys that I was talking about aren't bench guys if they've got folks injured, right? And, and if they do have you know guys like Adi and Ridgewell out, then those guys are pressed into starting duty where they've done okay, where they've done reasonably well. Uh, but nonetheless, then a lot of that depth on the bench goes away. Uh, so I will quibble with you on that. I think this is a deeper team uh, attacking, defending uh, than they had in, in 2015. And I think that could really be an asset uh, in, in in the playoffs, especially if they have some tight turnarounds uh, between games. Okay. Injury report time. That's a good segue, I suppose. Uh, boy, that's a lot of names on our mental notes. Uh, let's start with Liam Ridgewell. Uh, what do we know about his status going forward? So I think a lot of these, uh, because Caleb Porter was pretty vague today, are, are going to be pretty vague answers. Caleb Porter essentially said because the team hadn't practiced on Monday or Tuesday, they took both days off this week just with the travel back from New York, that he didn't really know. Um, we'll see if that's just because he didn't know and he'll know be- have a better idea in the next few days or if that's just kind of what he wants out there going into Salt Lake. Um, but on the majority of the players, there isn't going to be a good answer. And it's going to be really interesting to see what that lineup at Salt Lake looks like because it it could be missing five potential players or those five players could be in there. I think there's five players right now that are completely up in the air for me. So with Ridgewell, it sounds like he is back in training. He has been back in training. The question with him is whether or not he's going to be 90 minutes fit because they don't want to put a center back on the field, especially when they have a good option like Miller. They don't want to put a center back on the field that they're going to have to pull and waste a sub on. So I think I put that as questionable. I think he's been back long enough. You'd hope that he's 
probably 90 minutes fit by this point, but at the same time, he's missed a lot of games this year. So maybe they choose to make his return on the home game against Orlando instead of traveling him to Salt Lake and hoping that he can make it through 90 minutes. Yes. And uh, so, you know, there's always sort of when, when you get injury reports like this, there's always the question, is he being coy or, or what, you know, and, and frankly, if he's being coy, he has a, a gigantic uh, bit of company in the coaching world uh, in, in doing so. I guarantee Caleb Porter knows more than he's telling us. Uh, I would imagine if somebody was definitely going to play or if somebody was definitely not going to play, he would say that because he's usually pretty straight up about that. Uh, but, you know, nonetheless, he is definitely being coy uh, to the extent there is any uncertainty. I, I you know. They did have a day of training before the press conference today. Uh, I'm sure he has been getting updates from the trainers even over uh, the last couple days and certainly this morning. Uh, So, you know, I I don't necessarily buy the reasoning that he gave uh, that he hasn't had an opportunity to sort of get updates on those guys. Uh, But, you know, I mean, that's every coach does that. And I find it annoying. I find it kind of silly, but it's it's, you know something that a lot of people disagree with me on, uh, and they tend to be employed as coaches, whereas I'm employed as not a coach. Uh, Fernando Adi, what do we know or not know about him? Adi was also one where Porter said he didn't know yet. Adi, as of last week, was not back in training, so I would be a little bit more concerned about this one. Porter said basically he was... He didn't say he had returned to training, just that he was kind of making his way back, whatever that means. And he said he didn't have any concrete info. So I wouldn't take that very specifically uh, at all. So I I don't know. I don't know if Audie's been training this week. He wasn't in it last week. They didn't train till today. And so I'm also just not sure if that's not enough time for him to really get back in and integrated. Although he is in a position where maybe even if he doesn't start, they can use him off the bench. So that's obviously an option if he is healthy enough. But at this point, it, that's one that's going to be interesting to see whether he's in the lineup or not. Yeah, really good point there uh, that Adi as a forward will be, you know, I mean, if he is 15, 20 minutes fit, he can get 15 or 20 minutes. That's not necessarily the case uh, with somebody like Ridgewell, who they will take pains to make sure, especially with as well as, as well as Roy Miller's been playing, there's no reason to rush Liam Ridgewell back into uh, the lineup until he's 90 minutes fit. So whether that's this week or next week or whenever, uh, you would certainly expect the Timbers to, to take their time more with Ridwell than they'd need to with Adi. Uh, what do we know about Vitas? He came off uh, in the game against NYCFC uh, with a shoulder injury. Um, based on the way everything has been going uh, to date in this segment, uh, my guess is that's basically the extent <laughs> of what we know about him. Uh, is, is that right? Yeah, that, that is the extent. I do not know if he trained today, and since I don't have any past things to look at um as in whether he was making his way back um i i just don't know okay get well soon vetus uh darren maddox he his knee was contused um i'm i also probably made that word up <laughs> uh but he, he came away with a knee contusion he actually suffered in the in the first half against nycfc and then came off early in the second half uh that was a little bit interesting to me because i had to catch a plate so i watched the nycfc feed uh rather than the the, the timbers uh, feed on TV, and it, and it wasn't entirely clear to me the extent to which that dictated him coming off, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to just being sort of like a hey, we want to get Jeremy forty minutes to run, and and I thought Obosi did well. Uh, what was your impression on that? Uh, and I just assume he sort of falls into the same category as everybody else of we don't know. 
Yeah, I, I definitely thought he came off because of the injury. It, it seemed like a situation where they wanted to see if he could go, and maybe he said he could, and, and he they I, I think they took him off too quickly for it to be anything else. So I think it probably was him coming off from the injury, realizing that, no, he couldn't go. And I, I think it's up in there at this point. I think knee contusion, as, as Porter classified it, obviously sounds better than uh, other words you can put around knee. Um but yeah, like I, I'm torn ACL. Yes, <laughs> for example. But I am. Uh, it is up in the air to see whether or not he plays at this point. Uh, Jeff Adanella. He uh, I think this is actually one we sort of found out about today, uh, even though he did have a, have a moment in the game. Uh, but apparently he also had a little bit of a shoulder thing, if I remember right. Uh, and, and that that is leading to some sort of. I don't know, ambiguity because everything is is ambiguous. Uh, maybe we should like rename this segment like the super ambiguous injury report segment. Yeah, usually they're not. Usually we have more details. That's true, especially when we not, do it after the week. press conference. But this press conference, yeah. it turns out, was especially mm-hmm. unhelpful. Yep. What do we know about Adonella? Like shoulder thing? Porter just called it a sore sh- shoulder and he did suffer it on a save during the game, but he managed to play the rest of the game and I, I thought he played fine. I while Porter called it questionable, I think this is one you can be optimistic about just because of looking at kind of what it was labeled a sore shoulder and looking at the fact that he played the rest of that game and seemed to be okay. I, I going to go with an optimistic feeling on this, but uh, maybe there's been some sort of setback that we're not quite sure about. Uh, Porter didn't elaborate. Marco Farfan. Well, the next two, I, I do have specifics on. So this is nice. This is, that was the end of the well, ambiguous injury report segment, yeah. and now we're into like the actual, you know, we know stuff injury report segment. Although I shouldn't say yay as, as I yeah. say that <laughs> It's Marco not good news, out. but hey, it's news. No. <laughs> it's news. Um, Marco, and I think this got a little bit overlooked, but Marco was working his way back from an ankle sprain, as we had talked about, and, and getting games with T2 to kind of build up his fitness and get reintegrated. And he actually injured himself while playing with T2. He re-injured that ankle. So Porter said it's going to be another couple of weeks. He wasn't specific on the exact timeline, but that's what he classified as another couple of weeks before Marco's going to be able to play again. You know, and given where the Timbers are uh, in the season, I think it's unlikely he was going to see much in the way of playing time with the first team uh, through the rest of the season. But certainly unfortunate that he's missing those minutes with T2. Uh, He re-injured it, by the way, against Tulsa. It was not this most recent Bark in the Park game. It was, I think, the game before that uh, in which that happened. Uh, Jake Gleason. Okay. That's the last one. Jake Gleason, what do we know? This is an interesting one just because of how Porter phrased it. He said that Gleason has been healthy and was back in training. Now, last week, he said that Gleason was back in training, but they still didn't feel like he was 90 minutes fully ready to go. So it was just interesting how he changed the phrase. I I, I think as we're going to get to later, it just piqued my interest, just given the question on which goalkeeper is going to play when both are healthy. And I think we're going to get into that a little bit later. But Gleason is healthy, and Porter was clear on that. So assuming Adnell is healthy, that decision is very clearly going going to have to be made this weekend. So all of this is apropos of the Timbers' visit to Real Salt Lake uh, coming up on Saturday. That's a 6.30 game. Uh, it's the second-to-last away game of the season for the Timbers. Uh, after this, they'll have three of their final four at home. Uh, RSL is very much a team on the playoff ropes. They've been, frankly, wildly inconsistent recently. They, they, they've shown well. In fact, they've had some 
some some big performances at Rio Tinto Stadium, especially. Uh, they've also had some performances in which they've been beat up pretty good. Uh, and they they weren't beat up pretty good this last uh, weekend, although they did go up to Vancouver and lose three to two at BC Place. Uh, certainly one where they can hold their head high, if not necessarily, you know, the the result. Uh, what do you think the expectation is for the Timbers in this game? Are you, is this a three points or bust, or or is this one where you're saying, hey, if they come out with anything, whether it's one or three, I think they're pretty happy. I think they'll be satisfied with one point, but given where RSL is in the standings, I think they would like to just kind of put that nail in the coffin and get the three points, walk away with that. And obviously that would put them in a fairly good position in the standings and pretty much end RSL's chances of getting into that uh, playoff group. So I don't know. I I think the Timbers will approach it going for three points. I think they'll be satisfied with one. I, I think the fact that they were able to get points at New York kind of gives them a little bit of a cushion where they are in a pretty good spot in the standings, even though teams have games in hand and they do have a favorable schedule after this game playing, as you said, three or four at home to close out the season. I think the key for the Timbers really is going to be approaching those home games with the mentality that they have to get three points and they really want to pick up the three points in all three of those home games and then hopefully pick up some points on the road as well. But I do think they'll approach this hoping to get three points against a team that is below the red line and is in a situation where they can't afford to lose games. And if the Timbers are able to go there, get the three points, I think RSL's chances, which are already not in a great spot, are pretty much done. Yeah, RSL would be in a really hard way if they were to lose this game uh, to the Timbers, uh, especially if they, if you know, FC Dallas did something like you know pull out of their tailspin. That would pretty much spell the end of the Claret and Cobalt. Uh, but I agree, this is sort of a satisfied with one uh ecstatic with three kind of situation and frankly it, it is that way because of the way the Timbers played a, a, against Seattle and NYCFC they've sort of taken some pressure off themselves with, with this game uh by getting a couple pretty big results uh in games that were tough sledding uh immediately before this I remember looking at this three game stretch uh at Seattle at NYCFC at RSL and saying boy if the Timbers can come out of that with four points uh from those three games they would probably be feeling pretty darn good about where they're sitting uh, in the Western Conference, given what they have over the course of their final four games. Uh, and they already have those four points, right? They got the draw in Seattle. They got the win at NYCFC. Uh, so, you know, I mean, this is probably an exaggeration to put it this way. And in fact, it definitely is. But the, to some extent, they're playing with house money in this game. Uh, and so I, I think they've taken a bit of pressure off themselves going to RSL. Uh, but, you know, I mean, points are points. Uh, and every three points certainly matters. And if they come away with three points in this game, uh, I think that's that's fantastic. That's excellent. Uh, questions. Greg wants to know, do I need to be mentally preparing myself this last stretch of the season? Uh, as it could be, Darlington Nagby's last as a timber. What do you think? Do you think these last, next couple months are going to be the last we see of Darlington Nagby and green and gold? I don't know. I, I, I think that that's something at this point that fans should be mentally prepared for going forward. I, I think the Timbers showed last offseason that they are willing to at least entertain offers for Nagby. Uh, at the same time, uh, like you said, uh, this team seems to be putting itself together in a way where they might be able to make a run. And I, I don't think the Timbers are going to want to necessarily change this attacking group going forward if they don't have to, if they are able to make a serious run this year. And I think that Nagby overall has seemed to show interest that he wants to stay. Although, again, he did entertain the offer to potentially go to Scotland in the offseason, which I, I think kind of re- opened the door that this is possible 
I think that we will probably see Nagby with the Timbers next year, but I things could change in the offseason depending on what offers are out there. My take on this is always a possibility, never really a probability. Um, that said, the one thing to keep an eye on with this that may turn it more into a probability than just a possibility uh, is there have been talks, there have been rumors at this point, is, is the proper way to characterize it, that MLS could be lifting the cap of allocation money that you can gain uh, from transferring it to, from transferring a player outside of MLS. Uh, if that happens, then I, I think that just the numbers, the math, uh, the accounting of transferring Darlington Nagby uh, start to look a lot better for the Timbers. And so uh, if that does happen, that may be, make it more of a probability. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's always a, a possibility. It's been a possibility for the last couple of years. Uh, and, and it certainly I, I expect it to be a possibility again this offseason. Uh, but, you know, I, I tend to agree with you that if I were a betting man, I would say he returns. Ivan. Uh, if the Timbers stay first in the Western Conference, will they make CONCACAF Champions League next season? And the answer is no. And it's because of the peculiarity of, of CCL flipping its schedule. Remember that next year's CCL, MLS teams will enter in the spring. And so it'll be all of the qualifiers from last year that go into next season's, the 2018 CONCACAF Champions League. And then the 2019 CCL will be sort of a hybrid of the qualifiers from 2017, the MLS Cup winner and the U.S. Open Cup winner in 2017, and the MLS Cup winner and U.S. Open Cup winner in 2018. It's only going to be for that 2019 uh, CCL, though, that that happens. Once we get to 2020, things will go back to the to the sort of ordinary U.S. Uh, U.S. qualification of MLS Cup winner, uh, Western Conference uh, or Supporter Shield winner, other conference winner in the regular season and U.S. Open Cup winner of the U.S. will have sort of four annual spots. But remember, for these next two years, it's only two, and it is MLS Cup and U.S. Open Cup. Whether you like that, I don't. But whether you like that or not is a question. But the Timbers will not, uh, if they remain first in the West this year, get a berth into CCL. Unless, of course, they go win MLS Cup. Or if MLS Cup, if they make it to MLS Cup, and it would be interesting to see what would happen, how they would do sort of the the the, the passing down if the winner of of uh, MLS Cup is from uh, Canada. I don't think we've seen that spelled out yet, uh, and that would be certainly interesting. Uh, Nick wants to know if and when healthy, would you start Liam Ridgewell over Roy Miller? Yes. I would start Liam Ridgewell over Roy Miller. I, I think Liam Ridgewell, there's we've been statistics to back it up. The Timbers have been a better team with Liam Ridgewell on the field. I think his partnership would Ma, with Mabiala be interesting to see given how well Mabiala has performed for the Timbers. I, I think he's the better player when he's healthy. I think the big thing with Ridgewell is that he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Not that he isn't good for the Timbers when he's actually on the field. So Miller has been very good. Miller has played more minutes than expected this year. But I still think Liam Ritual is a better player and a better option if both are healthy. I agree entirely. So my answer is yes, but with some guilt. Uh, Matt, on a scale of one to Atlantis Morissette, this is going back a couple weeks, but I just love the way this was phrased. So I had to I had to squeeze it in here. Uh, on a scale of one to, to Atlantis Morissette, how ironic was it listening to Seattle fans complain about an ungiven handball call? I mean, her, her, isn't it I, isn't it ironic? Don't yeah. you think? Just a, just a little bit ironic? Yeah. I, I don't know, like an eight. Fans are always going to complain, and so that was pretty expected. Uh, teams, fans are going to complain when calls are questionable and they go against your own team. But, yeah, uh, after after the Timber situation earlier this year, it 
it was pretty ironic. I'm going full Alanis on that. Nice job on the question formulation, Matt. Gold star. Uh, I, I very much enjoyed that. Uh, Adam, did, did you get did you get my my little you know the lyrics? I, 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 yes. I, I okay. Good. Yes, I, I just wanted to make sure you weren't like too young that, that went over your head. No, I just don't think the song's ironic. So. <laughs> Well, really, I, I mean that's that's whole, fair. That's that's fair. it's a whole nother <laughs> that whole nother debate. That Let's not get into it. That is a completely different uh, conversation, but that is fair to criticize uh, Morissette's use of the the word ironic uh, in that song. But nonetheless, uh, that is that is Alanis's fault, not Matt's. Uh, Adam wants to know the question we've been talking about around for a little bit. Uh, Adam Ella versus Gleason. What do you say? Yeah, I was almost going to switch this to my hot take, and then I realized that it was already on there. So Adam beat perfect. you to it. We got to talk about multiple things. I think it should be Adonella. Uh, I think Gleason has been inconsistent this year. I think last year he took advantage of the opportunity when Quarcy got injured. He had a great season. He had, especially in that run where Quarcy was out, he he showed that he can be one of the best shot stoppers in the league. And, and I think he earned that position. Unfortunately, I think he came in this year, had inconsistent play. I think his shot stopping remained what it has been for the most part, although I think there were some opportunities that that he missed. I, I think he made some big saves, but there was also a few that you wonder, where did that shot-stopping ability go? And I, I think when you look at other aspects of his game, decision-making, distribution, things like that, it was inconsistent. I think Adonella has come in, and I think earlier in the season, maybe he had, I, I think, a an appearance or two where he was so-so, but I think he's come in those last four games and said, hey, I want to be the number one keeper and this is what I offer. He has shown the shot-stopping ability for the most part that Gleason has. He has one MLS save of the week. He's up for MLS save of the week again this week, although he shouldn't win. Uh, No, he didn't even have like the, the, like, he he had maybe the fourth best save in that game. Yes, exactly. Uh, That was, by the way, a spectacular, (laughs) spectacular performance from Sean Johnson, especially in that second half. So really go tremendous. for Sean Johnson for MLS Save of the Week, yes, please. Yes, definitely. <laughs> okay, back aside, to your point. <laughs> but that aside, he he is making big saves, and I think overall in, he's been very consistent in these last four games and been a big reason. We, we looked at a lot of other reasons, but he's been a big reason why the Timbers have, I, I believe, gone 3-0-1 in the games he started and only allowed two goals. And I don't think you take a keeper out that's playing that well. Now, this could change down the road. It, it could change if Adonel goes out and has a bad game. But I don't think after this performance that you just take Adonel out and put Gleason back in, given the inconsistency this year. I think you stick with the hot hand, and the hot hand is Adonella. So I was like, a, during like the first half of your answer, I was all gearing up to disagree with you. And then you just came to phrase it the exactly the way that I would phrase it. Uh, I think you, you go with hot hand as between them. I don't, I don't think either guy uh, has separated himself from the other uh, over the course of the season. And I actually think they've had pretty similar seasons overall. Adonella has looked pretty good. I, I totally agree uh, over the course of the last few games. Uh, and, and I think that is enough reason to say, hey, look, he's the hot hand. We're going to stick with him. But... You're totally right. If he has a couple of rough games, if he makes a few mistakes, uh, he absolutely has no reason to feel confident uh, that he's not going to lose the job again. I, I think just the way the season has gone, kind of back and forth, uh, with them both making some mistakes, with them both having some good good performances, uh, I, I don't think there's necessarily an incumbent here beyond who just has the hot hand at the moment. Uh, Thorns. Thorns won, Breakers zero. Uh, our predictions, we both called a win, but uh, other than that, nah. 
you called a 2-0 win uh, with an Emily Sonic goal. You did not get the Sonic goal. You did get the win. You got the shutout. Uh, I called a 3-1 win with the Nadia Nadim goal. Again, I got the win, but really not a whole lot else. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you 9.31 points for calling both the shutout, although the breakers often stinks, uh, and, and, uh, and, and getting the win. Uh, and I'm going to give myself like, I don't know, 4.73. Oh no, I already used 73 as my decimal. Can't use it again. Uh, 4.26 points, uh, for, for getting the win right. But you know, I mean, that's barely better than calling a Diego Valeri goal. I, I'm fine with the points you are giving me, but I, I do feel like I need to acknowledge that we, we skipped, obviously, the recording. Oh, yeah, good, uh, good call. Yeah, you, you deserve your dabs, your, your yes. tip of the cap for this. Go ahead. Yeah, so we, we skipped the recording. Uh, we hadn't planned it in advance, but because both of us were away, we weren't able to record around that Washington game. And I did predict the Thorns Washington score. I sent it to Chris Reifer. Yeah, I, I, I can I can verify the this. Internet. Yes. Um, and he did not tweet it out. Uh, but I predicted that the Thorns would beat Washington three to nothing and Christine Sinclair would have a hat trick. They won four to nothing and Christine Sinclair has had a brace. So how many points do I get for that prediction? Mm, I'm going to go ahead. Well, so, you know, the, the lopsided win was not super great, but the brace as opposed to hat trick is a good one. I'm going to give you a 22.71 points for for that all right okay. I, I will take that and and also a, a like a, a you know like a uh you know slug on the shoulder kind of thing like hey nice work uh good <laughs> prediction um but yeah so the thorns ended up winning one zero uh christine sinclair played the hero once again with sort of a late goal uh to seal the win uh it was kind of a boring game <laughs> is, is, is that uh is that mean to say i mean no because they won but it was kind of a boring game uh but nonetheless the thorns came away so i think the like the only thing that that really jumps at me as a talking point from the game is that as a result uh and as a result of, of the uh, pride drawing with the rain earlier in the day uh the thorns have now clinched a home semifinal they've clinched being in the top two uh that semifinal by the way will be on saturday october 7th at 12 30 of course, when I'm out of town. Uh, but yeah, uh, how do the Thorns then approach these sort of final two games of the regular season now? Uh, I think it is deeply, deeply, deeply speculative uh, that the Thorns will have much of an opportunity uh, to, to get up into that that number one spot. I think that is pretty well the, the courage. So I think the Thorns are pretty well locked into number two. How do they go about these final two games of the regular season? Do they rest up and, and see if they can... Uh, get some some minutes off of it, some important legs, or do they just keep on playing and approach it like they're meaningful? I think they approach it like they're meaningful. I think they have enough rest in between games and in between the games and then on to the playoffs uh, to be able to do that. And, and I think they should. I, I think they should play for the NWSL Shield. I, I think that's a motivating factor until it's not there. And, and even even if North Carolina clinches uh, before the last day of the season, I, I think the Thorns should be playing their best soccer and, and trying to continue to build so they are playing even better heading into the postseason. I think you look at this Boston game and you said you said boring. I, I thought the Thorns were not very good for a lot of the game. I, I did not think it was a great performance, particularly in the first half. I, I thought Boston had chances to win this game. And, and given how well, how not well Boston has done this year, they shouldn't have. I, I think the Thorns playing a team, even though it was on the road, that had already been eliminated from playoff contention, this was a game and an opportunity for the Thorns to win. 
ultimately they won. And I think that speaks to just their success right now, their confidence right now. They're doing what good teams do, which is grinding out wins, even when they're not having their best day. But I, I think it gave them something to continue to build on. So I want to see them continue to build in these final games and be playing their best soccer heading into that semifinal game and not lose that confidence, not rest players. And then suddenly go into that semifinal game and realize they don't have the same chemistry or things are a little bit off uh, compared to what they were two weeks ago. So I think they play to the end uh, as hard as they can and try to win these last two. I agree. And one more point, if Tobin Heath is going to be ready to go after, after the break uh, this week for the international break, they also have that to do. They need to get her both minutes and, and get her uh, back up to a point where she's able to play meaningful minutes. Uh, but more importantly, they need to sort of sort out how the system is going to work with her in there. Because I think it is obvious that if she is healthy and available, she's going to be in the starting 11 uh, during the playoffs. Uh, and, and, and so they now have two games that are sort of like dress rehearsals uh, for that, where they need to sort out how that system is going to work uh, and how they're going to reintegrate uh, Tobin into the into the team. And so I, I totally agree with everything you said. Uh, I think there is always more danger in sort of taking your foot off the gas than there is in just keeping it on the gas and, and playing out the regular season. Uh, and I also think they have a very specific uh, reason uh, to to do so and and to integrate her as best they can. Do we have an update on, on Heath and and the ex, the expectation or the real or the realistic possibility that she is going to be able to be back in the team to some extent when they return uh, from the week off? I mean, Mark said that that was the game that they were kind of looking at and evaluating if she'd be ready. I think it's interesting she got called up. I, I'm hoping, actually, she doesn't play because I'm hoping that the national team just called her up to give her a look, not to see how she was doing, not to play her and potentially risk injury right before she's about to come back to the Thorns. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that that they were looking at that Orlando game. So I think that's still a reasonable expectation. And the fact the national team felt comfortable calling her up and putting her in that training setting is is a good sign that that might be the expectation that she will play there. So we should talk about this now, and Michael wants us to in particular. Uh, what is, who is your preferred semifinal opponent for the Thorns? It looks like it is basically all but assured to be either Orlando or Chicago. Uh, as between those two, who do you prefer and why? I think Chicago would be an easier opponent and, and the Thorns have shown that they can beat Chicago, obviously, recently. I, I think Orlando is much better, is a much better team when the, than the, when the Thorns last faced them. And I think they've been playing their best soccer in recent weeks and they are a very dangerous team. That said, I think I if in, give, in the Thorns situation, I do think they would want to play Orlando. And that's because I don't think their goal is to just make it to the NWSL championship. Their goal is to win it all. And I think it's better to play Orlando at home and have a better opportunity to win and then go to Orlando and not have to play Orlando on their home field, play a different team on a neutral field. I just think that that's going to be a better setup overall if the Thorns hope to actually win the NWSL championship. I think it's going to be tough to play or an Orlando team that's as hot as they are in that championship game on their home turf and hope to be able to win there. So Chicago is the easier opponent, in my opinion, but they should go with the hard opponent to open this up because it's going to give them a better chance of winning it all. I agree. Orlando has been very good recently. They've also been kind of flat track heroes uh, where they've been beating up on largely lesser teams uh, over the course of the last couple of months, but they have been beating up on them. They have been playing very, very well and winning convincingly. 
Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I have no problem with the, with the concept that, uh, that uh, of those two, Orlando are by far the more formidable uh, opponent. But for that exact reason, I, I don't want to play them at home. Frankly, in looking at uh, either Chicago or North Carolina, uh, I would pick the Thorns to win a game on a neutral field against either of those teams, especially if they're able to get Heath uh, back into the team and, and, and to a point where she can start uh, in that final. Uh, I don't know if I would pick the Thorns to go to Orlando and win a championship game against the Pride on their home field. I think that would be a little bit of tough sledding. Uh, and, and so for that reason, uh, yeah, I would prefer to see the Pride at Providence Park in that semifinal. Uh, and I think the Thorns would have a, a pretty good shot at advancing, even as well as Orlando is playing uh, with, with the home crowd behind them and, and sort of avenge the disappointment uh, of losing to uh, the, the zombie Flash last year. Uh, top two, two years in a row. We know that now. Uh, could be, I, I suppose, they, they could win the Shield again this year, but I think that's a pretty remote possibility, as I mentioned. Uh, how significant of an accomplishment is that? I mean, is that enough, to, do you think, to call the 2017 season a success, regardless what happens from here? Or, you know, are you sort of trophies or bust with this team? I think it's a significant success. I, I think it shows that Mark Parsons is taking this team in the right direction, and, and it's clearly a change from where they were at under Paul Riley. It, it shows that Mark Parsons at this point, you can say was the right choice for the job, at least in the direction he's moved this team. And I think it's important for Portland as a city, given the support they have to have a team that's competing for championships and up there at the top of the league a year in and year out. That said, because it's Portland, because this is the flagship franchise in the NWSL. The, the support here is unparalleled throughout the league and, and really throughout the world for women's soccer, women's club soccer, that is. I, I think the expectations are higher for this team. It's not just to finish the season in first or second. It's not just to win the Shield. Um, it's not just to make uh, get a home playoff game. I, I think those are all important goals, but it also has to be win, winning that championship again. And so while I wouldn't call the season unsuccessful or, or a complete bust or anything like that at, at this point, even if they are ousted in the semifinals, I do think it'll be a disappointment. The, I think it is the expectation is this team is going to get silverware. And so you can't just be satisfied with a team with this support and the, the interest that players have in wanting to come here and the star power that this club has been able to get. You can't be satisfied with just doing well in the regular season. They have to perform in playoffs as well. I disagree a little bit. I would be, I am at this point ready to call it a good season. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it is, I think there's just so much that go that, that sort of goes into winning a trophy, especially winning, winning the cup. Uh, that is frankly kind of random. There is a lot of luck along the way, even for the best teams, there is a, a good amount of luck along the way that's required that I think sort of the, expectation of winning a trophy every year is, is always kind of an unrealistic expectation. Should the Thorns be winning trophies with relative consistency? Yes. Uh, does winning the Shield one year and then coming back and taking uh, a pretty convincing second in the league uh, the next year tell me that this team is fully capable and performing in a way uh, where they will win trophies consistent, consistently? Yes. And so uh, in in that regard, I mean, you know, do I want the Thorns to win, uh, to, to win the Cup? Of course I do. Uh, and, and, and of course that would be, that is the goal and that is, uh, what, what they're shooting for. But I think they have done enough at this point to say, yes, 2017 was a good year. Uh, it very much goes to, to, to ratify the, the hiring, 
uh, of Mark Parsons. It very much goes uh, to, to sort of ratify the, the overall sort of course in which they're taking the, this club. Uh, and, and I think for that reason, it is a successful year. Uh, now, you know, will it become a very successful year? Well, that depends on what they do from here on out uh, and whether they're able to go find at least a trophy. Uh, if not, heck, why not? Both of them. Uh, predictions, only one thing to predict this week, and that is the Timbers at RSL. Jamie Goldberg, you're first. I am going to go out on a limb, especially since I do not know who's going to play for the Timbers, which could, if I had a better sense of that, I could totally change my prediction, but we'll just see how it goes. Uh, I'm at least going to go out on a limb with the score and say that the Timbers are going to win. It's going to be a big result on the road at RSL, and they're going to win 3-2, to two. Diego Valeri is just going to keep scoring and keep putting himself in the MVP conversation to the point where he's going to potentially surpass uh, David Villa's goal scoring to- total for the season by getting a hat trick. A, a Diego Valeri hat trick, by the way, uh, would put him on 20 goals for the season. Uh, if he finishes with 2010, he's at 17 and nine right now. If he finishes at 2010, he would be uh, only the second and maybe the third if David Villa also does it. Uh, player in MLS history to do that. Sebastian Blanco was the only other guy uh, to do it in 2015. Uh, two guys, pretty remarkably, two guys in the running to do it here in 2016. Uh, but Diego Valeri is one of them, and that is pretty legit. The dude's kind of a legend. Uh, I think it's going to be a draw. 2-2 is my call. Uh, I think this is going to be more a game about Sebastian Blanco than Diego Valeri, although I do think Valeri is going to get his goal. Uh, Blanco is going to, gonna, well, I mean, can't really steal that show, right? Because he would break a record. Uh, but Blanco will nonetheless have a goal and an assist uh, on Valeri's goal. Uh, that will get the Timbers a, a good solid point uh, out of RSL. And, and I think folks would feel overall, you know, pretty solid about that. Uh, time for the fantasy update. We are in the middle of a round right now. Vancouver and Minnesota United are playing as we speak. But the top three at the moment, uh, Timbertown, that is Lye with 2,749 points in third. Uh, Ten points ahead of him is Timbers Beast. That's Fargal with 2,759 points. And then Big Hearts Brass Balls, that's Aaron. Uh, 2,849 points is where he stands at the moment. Uh, I forgot to change my lineup one week, so now I'm like down in 52nd or some such place. Uh, Jamie Goldberg has forgotten to change her lineup every single week of the season because she doesn't play. Uh, that is Soccer Made in Portland for this week. You can find us every week, as always, uh, on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, and that's the end of the show. Thanks, everybody, for your, uh, for your questions. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Enjoy uh, the Timbers game at RSL, and we'll be back next week to talk about all of that and more uh, as we continue into the playoff push for both the Timbers and the Thorns. Until next week, of course, as always, take care.